All right, well, praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and dive into the sermon text for this morning. Turn over in your Bibles or open up in your Bible apps to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. We'll continue our trek through the book of Acts. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him in and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that you are in every way very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind uh, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysus, the Areopagite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this morning, where we have an opportunity to learn about you once again. Lord, we have spent many mornings this way. I fear, Father, that this would just be a Another Easter Sunday, another moment in time when, when it's, it's nice and pleasant to get, a, to get around each other and we feel good about it, but it doesn't yield fruit. Father, I pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to yield fruit. That we would grow, that we would flourish, not in just abundance numerically, Lord, but in, in faithfulness and diligence and obedience to your word, that we might be people that consistently have a desire to go out and preach your gospel to this world, to live it out, to tear down the walls of division and glorify you. Thank you for this morning. Please forgive me for my sin. 
Please forgive me for my inability, Lord. I know there's no way I can preach your word the way it needs to be preached. But, Lord, your spirit is sufficient. So, Father, I pray that he would guide the hearts and the minds of all those who are here, that he might glorify you, draw attention to your word, and give strength to live it out. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Humanity's natural state is to worship. We will worship something. We are naturally inclined to worship, whatever it may be. Even, in fact, sometimes we worship our own selves. But nonetheless, we are inclined to worship. We are inclined to submit to something greater. This, this idea there's something that's out there that I have to owe my devotion to, even if it's money, if it's fame, if it's celebrities, whatever it may be. And this can be seen by how often we flock to celebrities. How often we, we, we flock to, to those that may be notorious or those that may be famous. And if we ourselves can't possess power, we at least want to get close to power. We love to worship. We love what it brings. We'll even worship that, that which we don't fully understand. We'll commit, in fact, our entire lives to stuff that we don't fully comprehend. I remember I had an opportunity. I was, I was riding with a, uh, a brother in the Lord down to Texas. And I knew that he held to some shaky doctrine. And so I, I observed and I, and I took my time and we were talking about, man, yeah, people twist the Bible to say whatever it, it, they, they wanted to say. And he's like, hey, man, man, I hate when people do that. And I was like, yeah, man, like, like Matthew 18, man, talks about binding and loosing spirits. Man, I ain't even want to talk about it. He's like, yeah. Wait a minute, what? And he paused. And I was just like... Yeah, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's what it's talking about. He's like, oh, uh, um, so, uh, hey, Deke, so, so what is it talking about, though? <laughs> what is it talking about, though? What is it really saying? And we went through Matthew chapter 18. I was like, what, what is the outline there? And it's talking about restoration of a brother or sister in sin and, and how to go about doing that. And it, then later on, it talks about whatever is bound in heaven is bound on earth. Whatever is loosed in heaven is loosed on earth. There's this idea that because the church has followed a biblical model, that God himself, Jesus himself, stands in our midst. So where two or three are gathered, there I am also giving affirmation to this process because it's been done biblically. doesn't say anything about binding or loosened spirits in that passage. See, it's interesting. He had been in church for a number of times, for, for a number of years. And yet he himself had been worshiping something that he didn't fully understand, believing and holding to something he didn't understand. That's in the church. Now you have people outside the church, and they're worshiping all sorts of things. They're rocking out with all sorts of things, all sorts of ideologies, all sorts of idols, all sorts of beliefs. But then when you really begin to probe and dig deeper, you realize they don't really know what they're talking about. All of these Facebook philosophers, right? They put something out like, yeah, yeah. So, so what you really need to do, I'm like, bro, how are you going to give a whole philosophy and 150 characters left that, less that you ain't even living out? You don't even know how to flesh this out. You broke right now with, 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 with three different kids by three different baby mamas. You don't even know, but you say, hey, man, just hustle, cuz. Just hustle. Like, listen, you need to take care of your kids. You need to reconcile your marriage. You need to be faithful on your job. You need to, do, you need to treat people rightly. You need to love. You need to submit. Why are you over here chasing this, but you're claiming this? See, people will promote stuff that they don't even know what they're talking about. That's what we see here in Athens. He had been examining 
their behaviors. He had been examining what was going on. And so while they were worshiping, it was something that was unknown to them. And so he sought to engage them. So Paul is in Athens awaiting Timothy and Silas to join him from Berea and came into contact with the state of humanity, the, the state of worship of the unknown. After sharing some of the gospel, he was invited to a place called the Areopagus where all folks did all day was share new stuff. It's amazing to me how many people are, are gravitating toward the new stuff. Y'all ever like spend like half a day binge watching on YouTube, all of the new videos? Like, oh man, did you know that really the Bible came from like, bruh, you done spent about five seconds on this video and now you come and preach and you lecture about where Christianity came from? Like, listen, man, you, go pick up a book. Matter of fact, pick up these five books, do some study, and then come back. If the YouTube University don't work for me, you're worshiping that which you don't know. You're following that which you don't fully understand. And Paul here is dealing with people in the Areopagus that that's all they're doing. And every time a new philosophy will pop up, they want to hear about it. They want to believe it. They want to walk to it. They want to worship it. So now Paul has presented to them something new, something different. They said, hey, man, come, come holler at us. Tell us what you're talking about. So Paul begins to dialogue with them and points out that he sees that they are, in fact, religious. He had spent some time observing their customs, their shrines, their authors. Real, re, realize that in Athens at this point, you have shrines and altars everywhere. You have gods upon gods upon gods, racks on racks on racks. You got gods on gods on gods on gods. You got idols on idols on idols on idols. Like, how y'all have so many different idols? How y'all have so many? They had so many gods that they actually thought that they might miss one, so they had an altar to an unknown god, just in case we missed one. So here he is in Athens talking about these various gods. And he observed them and realized that they are in fact religious. They have a mind for that which is divine, that which is holy, that which is sacred, that which is supernatural. They had a mind for it. But here's something we don't do in our culture well. We don't take time to learn each other well enough to actually have meaningful conversation with each other. Let me say that one more time. We don't take time in our culture actually learning about each other enough so we can have meaningful conversation with each other. See, Paul here did something different. He observed. He was quiet, and then he observed. And he said, what is going to be the best way to drop this truth on them? What is going to be the best way to engage with them? He didn't retweet something. He didn't share a meme that was, you know, short and pithy, but, you know, was really clever and sarcastic. No, 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 no. He took time and said, the best way to engage with these people is going to be in this way. I would love if as Christians and as a culture, praise the Lord, I would love if as Christians and as a culture, we could spend time actually learning what one another believes actually taking time to engage with one another, to learn one another, to hear each other, to ask questions and listen rather than to jump to conclusions. I remember I had an opportunity to do this. I, I, had, uh, I kid you not, I posted on Facebook. This was, I don't know how long ago. It was after Jacob Blake, if y'all remember Jacob Blake, it was after Jacob Blake got shot in the back eight times. I'm not here to make a political statement. I wanna, I wanna make it clear. I posted a comment that said, I just kissed my three kids goodnight tonight. There are three other kids that just watched their dad get shot in the back that's having an altogether different night. And so I counted my blessings. 
What happened is I had a person jump and comment and say, well, I'm not going to comment, but just know that God is, God is watching. I have no idea what that meant. It kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like I started looking around like, I'm sure God is watching. Are you watching though? Like, are you near me at this point? But, but I'm not going to comment, but God is watching. All right. So I responded. I said, that's the most like comment, non-comment that I've read in a while. So like, what do you mean? Like, and so the response was, why you got to be sarcastic? I thought you was more mature than that, Christian. I'm like, I, 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 like, I, I really don't know what you're saying, though. Like, I, I, just, I just don't know what you're meaning. And then they proceed to just go off on the top. Just go off. I'm just, I mean, carpal tunnel is just typing up everything. Like, why are you so mad? The reason why is because instead of spending time actually trying to figure out what I was talking about, they filled in the blank with everything else, all the other experiences they had, put words in my mouth, and then debated those words. And I'm like, but, but we believers, though, right? We should be engaging with each other. Though. We should believe the best about each other, right? And so, like 50 comments later, I said, listen, all I was talking about is whether Jacob Blake was right or wrong or whatever. Three kids should never see their daddy get shot in the back, period. It has nothing to do with politics or law enforcement or injustice. Not, not at this point. All I'm saying is I feel bad that the kids had to see their daddy get hit like that. That's it. That's it. And the fact that we automatically jump to political statements before we ever even engage with compassion is not doing what Paul did in this passage. Instead, he stopped and he observed and he listened and he thought critically what is going to be the best way to engage them. That's what we should be expecting to do as believers. Paul then stated that what was unknown to them, he was going to make known. There is embedded within the heartbeat of Christianity the DNA of revelation. I love that aspect of Christianity. Christianity has in its very core, in its very blood that pumps every single day this idea that God desires to reveal himself to people. He's not chilling off in some monastery up on some top of a mountain somewhere where you got to go seek him out and walk 10,000 steps on your knees. And, no, 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 no. God desires to come down and reveal himself to you. So Paul here following that mindset said, listen, y'all are religious. You're worshiping all sorts of stuff. That's cool. But this unknown thing, God desires to make himself known to you. I'm about to talk about it. I'm about to put y'all up on game. I'm about to make you understand what this unknown God is all about. He's not going to be unknown anymore. So God has a desire to reveal himself. Think of the beautiful truth that God desires to be made known. When I think about our Christian walk, ask yourself this. Are you making God known? Simply, are we making God known? Are we making him understood? Are we explaining him? Are we living him out? Are we speaking about him? Or are we making God private? Our own secret sauce. How, how we're living. Like, yeah, I got peace, but I don't, you know, I really don't want to infringe on you. I know your marriage is going down. I know your parenting is going down. I know your job is up in the air. I know your housing situation may be a struggle, but you know what? That's on you. But I got peace, though, so I'm cool. That's not this gospel. That's not this one. That may be one of those other idols that was over there, but that's not this one. That might be the idol of comfort that we camp out in. 
They might be the idol of, uh, of self-sufficiency that we love to worship. They might be the idol of false peace because we really don't have peace. We just tweet about peace. But that ain't this gospel. But Paul wanted to make it known. Therefore, what was unknown now is to become unhidden. My second point, Paul begins dismantling their ignorance by stating that the Lord of heaven and earth made everything. Not everything, everything. He made it all. He made everything. Two R's. Everything. And that made sense to them. They was like, wait, 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 wait. So, so he made everything, everything. You can hear him talking again. Just pick, close your eyes. He made everything, everything. Everything? Like everything, like everything, everything, or just everything? Like everything, everything. And they're like, wait a minute. See, this would have took a stab at those Epicureans. See, the Epicureans believed that matter existed eternally. That it was always here. And Paul said, no, 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 no. The matter that everything else is made up of, God made that. So wait a minute. So he's superior than even the, the planets and the stars and the constellations. He, he created everything. Every, didn't I say everything to begin with? He made everything. In addition, God doesn't need our worship, sacrifice, or praise. Instead, he is the giver. Now think about this for a second. Because for the Epicureans and the Stoics and all the philosophers there, their gods were always gods that they had to give stuff to. They had to sacrifice to. They had to bring their offering in a way to appease the gods. Let me tell you right now, if you brought your offering now or at any point in time in the past to please God, then you brought it wrongly. Instead, it's a offering of gratitude. I'm, I'm grateful you've given to me this, therefore I just want to return something to you, but nonetheless you don't need it. See, the beauty in our God is while he possesses everything, he gives. He hands it out. Although he created everything, he allows for us an expression of gratitude to take from that which he's created and give back to him just as an act of gratitude. This would have been in stark contrast to the Athenians who believed that they were the ones who gave to God, not the other way around. I love what one scholar said. He said, listen, the concept of need is a uniquely human thing. See, God doesn't need. The concept of needing is unique to us. We need air. We need water. We need food. We need a job, whatever it may be. We need. God doesn't understand need. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with need. So when he took upon flesh and walked, it was the very first time God had experienced a, a need of some sort. What is flowing to those Athenians, though, is that God doesn't need, but he does give. Think of the character of this passage, this displaying of God. He desires to be known and will, in fact, give that uh, revelation. Yet what does our world teach us? to run from revelation, to run from vulnerability. We don't want to unpack ourselves. Don't be truly known. And on top of that, to hoard up all that you can. So here you have the God of Scripture that says, I don't need anything. I'm going to give everything, and I'm going to reveal everything. But then the gods of this world teach you, store up everything, hoard up everything, save everything you can, and don't be vulnerable because you might get hurt. If that's you, if that's your heart, if that's your character, if that's how you feel, chances are you've been serving a different God. If you are protecting that which you have, 
if instead you're trying to store up as much as you can for a rainy day, if you're trying to do all of this stuff rather than freely giving and being generous, if you're fearful of engaging in relationships and being who you are truly, and instead you're keeping yourself to yourself and only allowing bits and pieces of you to be revealed, that's a different God. That's a different gospel. That's not what our God has done. God also made from one human all the nations. In one statement, Paul crushed the ideology of the Athenians who thought themselves to be of a superior stock of humanity. They thought they were cool. They thought they were it. They was like, I was born here in Athens. I was raised in Athens. I was learning philosophy from the time I was a babe. You come to me to learn about truth. And Paul said, listen, bruh, he made from all of us one person. One person gave birth to all of us. It's come from one stock, one humanity, one person, one man. This idea of racial superiority is a myth. Racial inferiority is a myth. Race is a myth. Instead, he made from every man through one man. This would have crushed the idea of racial superiority if it were taken to heart. Imagine who that unifies you with. Recognize how that humbles you. Here's one of the reasons that I believe Paul was impactful. He never forgot where he came from. So here he was, a Jew, looking at Athenians, waiting on a Gentile to come and meet him there, realizing that those who are worshiping those unknown gods, those who are worshiping those idols, really ain't too much different from him. They all came from the same stock. They all came from the same person. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Paul is speaking, it says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul understood this, and this heart of humility was uh, enabled him to engage with these people. Paul, I believe, was consistently reminded that he too was unified with those he preached to. He was not that far off from them. This doesn't bring depression, but expression. It doesn't bring degeneration, but exaltation. Why? Because I love what the song says, when I think about the goodness of the Lord and what he's done for me, how he's raised me, how he's saved me, how he's picked me up, turned me around and placed my feet on solid ground, it doesn't make me, it doesn't make me depressed. It makes me worship. It reminds me, I used to be this. I mean, I have a sister in the Lord. We were just talking about it. How wild and dumb I used to be in high school. And yet here I am, of all places, of all places. So how dare I, when I go and try to preach the gospel to somebody else, look down on them? The only way you could do that is if you forgot where you came from, if you forgot what you were, for some of us, what we are. And God still has grace. God placed mankind where they are, when they are, and how they are, all with the purpose of enabling them to find him, is what Paul said. Here's what I find interesting. Somehow we believe that because we exist on one side of an imaginary line that we are better. Somehow we believe that because we exist on this side of an imaginary line that somehow that makes us superior, but Paul here is teaching against this. Let me give an example. I recently watched a video where two young Mexican girls 
one the age of three, the other age of five, were dropped over a 14-foot wall at the Mexican border just to get into our country. I can't imagine the rationale and the reasoning that had to go through that parent's mind to think that it's going to be better over there without me than here with me. I look at my five-year-old son, and I can't imagine what type of reasoning I would have to go through in order to abandon him to a foreign country. Now listen, I'm not making an argument one way or another for immigration. Let me make it clear. If your first thought when you saw two little girls drop down a 14-foot wall is illegal immigrants, God help you, instead of compassion. I'm not saying they should do one thing or another. I'm saying if your first inclination is you saw an illegal immigrant rather than a three-year-old girl and a five-year-old girl that was born on the wrong side of an imaginary line, then God help you. See, Paul here made it clear that those imaginary lines, God put them there for a reason, but it was not for superiority. It is not so that you can withhold mercy or you can withhold blessing or you can withhold compassion. That's not what it's there for. Now, again, I'm not trying to make a political statement to be candid with you. There's something that has to be done with that policy, and I'll leave that to the policymakers. However, for us as Christians, if our first response is a compassion for people that are born on the other side of that line, whatever that line is for you in your life, whether it be your country line, your state line, your family line, whatever line it may be, then you're doing something different than this gospel that Paul is preaching here. Even worse, can you imagine Christians that God has allowed to be on the other side of that wall by the grace of God, having the audacity to look upon them and rather than be moved by compassion, turn to their disdain. When the gods of this world tell you when you see something to view it one way and Yahweh says to view it another way, there's a problem. There's a conflict and we gotta choose which God we serve. Know that the only reason we're on this side of the wall is because God made it so. One day he might put us on the other side of that wall. Oh, y'all didn't realize that. One day, God may have this country be on the wrong side of the wall. He may have you be on the wrong side of the street. He may have you be on the wrong side of the state line, the wrong side of the school district, the wrong side of whatever that you count as a privilege and a blessing. Now, he might have you on the other side. Then what you gonna be thinking about? Then how are you going to process through it? See, the Athenians had the same mindset. They believed those born in Athens were superior. Notice, though, that why God put you there. It says it in verse 27, that they should seek God. God has appointed the boundaries. God has appointed the seasons. God has appointed all of these things so that where you are, you can actually search after God and find him there. This means that the current state, your current state, is the perfect state. Not for your personal well-being, but instead your personal dependence on the Lord. If the searching is purposeful, feeling as those that are blind, not whimsically, but meaningfully, God may be found. So listen, Athenians, God has put you where he has put you, when he's put you there so that you can find God there and he can be found if you look. There's a number of times when I've been placed in a place where I felt like God had abandoned me, not realizing that's exactly what God wanted me to be to find him. 
Anybody ever felt lonely before? I'm talking. I ain't talking about like you just alone. I'm talking about the the lonely feeling when you're when you're surrounded by people that love you and that need you and look up to you, and you still feel like you're the only person in the room. Where somehow you know, after all the hemming and hawing that you do throughout the day, you go home, you lay your head on your pillow, and you feel alone, just flat out alone. And you're like, God, are you there? Do you hear me? I'm praying, I'm crying, I'm pleading, I'm rationalizing, I'm sacrificing, I'm doing all of these things. God, do you hear me? Are you there? Am I in the wrong spot? Maybe I need to be over here, or, or I, I need to listen to this, or I need to study that, whatever it may be. I need to get to a different place. And God says, hold on. I got you right where I want you. I got you to where you have to abandon everything, and I'm all you got left. Where you have to give it all up, where you have to sacrifice it all, when all the things that you have leaned upon now are no longer there as a crutch. And now you can listen to me. Now you can hear me. Now you can faithfully follow me because before this, you had all those other idols you were leaning on. The idol of your job, the idol of your savings account, the idol of your friend or your family or whatever it may be. All of these other ways that you have found comfort and peace and provision and God now has removed them and said, now, now what do you have? That's the perfect spot. Why are we turning to lesser things when God can't be found. See, Paul engages with them by citing even some of their own poets. He says, in him we live and move and have our being that were made in God's image. Since that is true, why are we worshiping things that are made lesser? I see this all the time. I remember one, one, of, my, one of my guys from back in the day, he made a very simple statement that didn't make sense to me at the time. He was like, listen, man, I want to get some like 24-inch rims for my car. But then I realized when I drive it, I can't see him. I was like, what? He's like, why am I going to spend money on something I can't see when I drive? I said, you know, you may be on to something there. We will devote so much time to celebrating and having other people celebrate us. And in fact, we're submitting ourselves to lesser things when you can take that same money, put it into a mutual fund invest in some stock, invest in a business, support a black-owned business, whatever it may be. You could do these things, help somebody out, give charitably, buy some food for somebody, find that, that homeless person on the street, give them whatever it is. But instead, we chase these lesser gods. Think of Israel, how because they believed God had abandoned them, when Moses didn't return, they created an image to worship. This is exactly the thing mankind does. When we can't find God, we create God. We create masters that then abuse us, criteria for greatness that leaves us beaten down. I remember realizing the, the fact of what I interpreted as success. I was like, who told me that? Who told me I have to have that house or that car or that amount of money or that job or those clothes, whatever it may be, who said? Who so why am I hustling so hard? to pursue that success when that's nowhere in scripture. Matter of fact, what's successful to God probably looks like poverty to this world. And yet we will feel depressed because we can't sacrifice to that God enough. And God's like, that's not the God you should have been serving to begin with. So Paul here is challenging them. 
why have you, if we are made in God's image, why have you went and crafted together clay and stone and wood and worshiped that when you're superior to that? Why are we worshiping these things? We construct standards of living that we must arrive at in order to have peace or comfort or blessing. But what if I told you you were blessed right now? What if I told you that God is revealing himself to you right now in your situation if you would just look? If you would just sit still for a second and just look, what if God is talking to you right now? Forget everything else. Tune out everything else. What if God is talking to you right now? What if he's telling you, I got you? I love you. I'm proud of you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to carry you through this. I know you don't know what to do. I know you don't know the answer. I know you may feel afraid. I know you're giving it the best you got, but I got you. Have you come to the end of yourself yet? Are you exhausted yet? Have you served enough of these gods of this world enough yet? And if you have, then God's got you. If not, carry on sacrificing to them, but they're going to wear you out. They're not going to give anything in return. They're going to take from you everything, but they're not going to give you anything. They're going to promise you peace, and all you get is depression. They're going to promise you comfort, and all they give you is discomfort. Stop serving the gods of this world, folks. Stop serving the gods of this world. If I told you that, you'd be left without an excuse, which is exactly how Paul left the Athenians. Because of this revelation that God has chosen, humanity is left without an excuse. God has allowed enough time to pass, but he isn't playing anymore. Now, my daughter, I love my daughter. My daughter, Salih, is eight years old. I don't know how, but she is the only, like, empath in our whole family. Everybody else, me, my wife, my oldest son, my youngest son, we, like, rude. I ain't going to lie. Emotions kind of come as, like, a secondary thing. She feels everything, everything. And she, so she's like the barometer for daddy's temperature. So when the boys get to wilding out, every time I walk in the room, she looking. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, daddy about to blow up, y'all. Daddy, hey, hey, y'all better chill out. Y'all better chill out. Y'all better chill out. I told y'all y'all chill Like, if y'all don't sit down somewhere, she's that, 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 that temperature gauge. She feels it. She's watching. She's always watching daddy to see, you good? Okay, you good. Hey, we about to kick it. Oh, daddy mood changed. Hold on. Hey, y'all better sit down. Y'all being too loud. Y'all know y'all being too loud. Look at daddy. We need to be that temperature gauge. Paul was that temperature gauge. He was that thermometer. He was, he, he was the person that came and said, look, Athenians. Look, Athenians. Look, Christians. Look, religious people. God has allowed for you all to fool with these idols long enough. But now daddy about to get up. Daddy about to raise up and he will judge in righteousness. He will judge in faithfulness. See, he's been playing around. We've been playing around too long and God's about done with it. See, before you were ignorant. You didn't know any better. But now God has came to you and made known to you your idols. He's come to you and made known to you that you've been sacrificing to false gods, that you've been worshiping them, that you've been pursuing them. And now the time's almost up. This may be your last chance. You claim to be religious, that's good. But it's not going to get you far in his mind. You got to trust in the gospel. 
Some of us here have been playing with God too long and he's done playing. There are some folks in your life right now that God is about to pull their card. You better let them know. You better let them know. That's why you're there. Not to sit there and observe as their life crashes and burns, but to actually engage them with the gospel truth. That's why you're there. That's why you're, you're, you're the thermometer. You're, you're the person that's telling them, like, listen, God ain't going to keep playing with you. And if you're not doing that, that makes you an accomplice. So you better speak up. Forget how they respond. Paul had people respond. They mocked him. They scorned him. Shoot, and that was the, that, that, that was the good response. And all the cities passed. He got beat up. He got stoned. He got whipped. He got imprisoned. We're afraid of a little social distancing. Speaking of social media, we're afraid of people not liking us. They're going to unfriend us. God forbid. But we got to tell the truth. The reason being is that God is going to judge the world not based on emotions, but in righteousness. And Paul says you could take it to the bank because he validated his ability and willingness by resurrecting Jesus from the grave. So before we look at Jesus as liberation, we must first see it as vindication. That God will judge unrighteousness. God will judge injustice. God will judge that which is wrong, that which is sinful. So we love to jump over the just part and go straight into the mercy and the grace part. But I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. He has some sin to judge. He has some unrighteousness to judge. See, the Athenians were religious. They believed in many gods of the land, just as there are many gods in this land. But let me ask you, if the father is, father is willing to offer up his own unique holy son to satisfy righteous requirements, why do we believe that he won't judge those who are far less holy? If he's willing to do this to his holy and righteous son, just to satisfy righteous requirements, what will he do for those that don't pursue righteousness? So many of us pray for Jesus to return, but some of us might want to pump our brakes and read Amos 5. Amos 5, 18 through 24, let me read it for y'all. It says, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. That should pump your brakes right there. Just if you don't speak Bible, that whoa, 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 like, hey, slow down. Woe to you desire the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when God come back. So everybody praying, Maranatha, Maranatha, hold up. Think about it for a second. He continues, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a snake bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? Here's why that is. I hate, God says, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your sacrifices, your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. 
If there is not justice, if there is not righteousness, you better be very careful about pleading for that day of the Lord. I love the fact that Jesus resurrected. But first and foremost, it was a vindication that God will punish unrighteousness. So Paul here in Acts chapter 17 makes it clear. There's a lot of religious folks in this world. Some of us may even be those folks. Yet when you have responses like Paul did with some mocking, some seeking more and even fewer believing, it can be discouraging, but you better tell them. You better tell them what's coming because Jesus is coming. He is coming. And the fact that he rose from the grave 2,000 years ago means he's coming. He's been faithful up until this point. He ain't slip up yet. He's coming. And when he's coming, he's bringing righteousness to this land. And he will judge unrighteousness. So you better repent. You better change your mind. But know that one day righteousness will reign. The resurrection of Jesus achieved not just our redemption, but God's vindication. God is not to be mocked. He will set straight what is crooked. He will bring to light what is hidden in the dark. Notice that the resurrection is joy for us, but a fearful thing for those in this world. Family, uh, ignorance and innocence are not the same thing. God has made known to you his ways. God has made known to you his truths. But praise God that we are hidden in Jesus. Amen. That while this world scoffs, we reside in the power of the Almighty, freed from the gods of this land. Never forget what God has delivered you from. Never forget that you used to be that Athenian, thinking that you were religious, and then God freed you. He changed your mind. He metanoia. He, he changed the way that you perceived reality. And so then because of that, he wants you to go to people that used to be just like you. Walk just like you, talk just like you. When I would volunteer in the schools, I remember I'd go and I'd talk to them, but like, who do you want to volunteer with? I was like, give me your baddest kids. They was like, why? I was like, because I used to be the baddest kid. I know exactly what they're going through. Like, oh, I know you want to wild out. How you know? Because I used to be you. And it's, it looked like fun too. I might join you in, but now nah, we can't do that no more. Can't do that no more. We can't do that no more. Give me your baddest kid because I used to be one. Give me your worst sinner, because I used to be one. Give me your most hard-headed, foolish person, because I used to be one. And if not for the grace of God, I would still be one. God will come and judge this world. And for those of us who he has redeemed and are hidden in Christ, let us be part of that engagement. Let us be the people that are pleading on the Areopagus, that are reasoning with people that want to hear new stuff. Let me tell you something new. Jesus is coming back for you. And he loves you. And he cares about you. And he delights in you. Don't camp out in your comfort. Instead, let our affection be upon those who are still blinded in ignorance. Let us observe them graciously and then engage them with wisdom and humility. And in doing so, honor the Lord our God. Amen. Let us pray as the praise team comes up. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your glory being made known to us. I ask that you will forgive me for any words that I have misspoken. But Father, I pray that your spirit would move even now in the hearts and the minds of your people. 
that we would not be people that only have church outdoors, but we would be people that engage with people beyond these walls. That we wouldn't just assemble here because it's a nice day, but Father, we would spend time learning about each other as a human race. That we would spend time loving each other, pursuing each other, hearing each other, observing each other, and then speaking and living and preaching the love of God. Did not your resurrection achieve that in our lives? Did it, did it not purchase us from wallowing in our sin? Do we not have a debt to pay to you, uh, a heart of gratitude? As your servant Paul said, I am debted to both Jews and Greeks to preach your gospel, to preach the coming kingdom of the Messiah. Is that not our call? Father, please have mercy on us. Help us to remember that we are people of mercy, people of grace, that while we point to righteousness, we point to biblical convictions that does not remove from us the idea of compassion and mercy and grace. Thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. I pray, Father, that you are glorified on this day. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.